Welcome back to this uh, study on the last book of the Bible, where in Revelation, Jesus pulls back the curtain so his people can see the unseen of how he has complete control in a way that gives confidence to his people in the last days. Uh, Jesus' purpose behind the book of Revelation is to give his people confidence and assurance of victory in the last days, which leads to an important question, which is, are we in the last days? What do you think? What if right now I had you stand up and vote uh, with your feet? And uh, if you think that uh, we're not yet in the last days, you would move over this way to your left. Or if you think that we are in the last days, you would rush over to the right. Or if you think that this is the last day, you'd stay where you are, hide under your seat. Uh, what would you do? What, how would you vote? I guess my real question is, how would you know? How would you know whether or not we're in the last days? Most people, when they answer this question, they do it by looking at global events and guess. Guess whether it's bad enough yet to be considered the last days. But you know what? If I believe that the Bible is God's word, I don't need to guess. I don't need to guess because the Bible actually defines the exact moment when the last days begin. The apostle Peter announced the beginning of the last days when he stood up on the day of Pentecost and said in Acts chapter 2, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So whereas in the Old Testament, God shared his Holy Spirit only with certain people on certain occasions, the Old Testament prophet Joel said that in the last days, God would pour his spirit on all his people. And we know the exact day that this happened. It was a couple of months after Jesus was crucified and resurrected and ascended to heaven when a handful of his followers were suddenly filled with God's spirit in a way that enabled them to speak foreign languages that they never learned with foreigners who were gathered in Jerusalem for this feast called Pentecost, and they were able to share the good news of Jesus in those foreign tongues. And that, by the way, is what this word prophesy means. Uh, your sons and daughters will prophesy. That doesn't mean that they'll tell the future. That means that the ordinary followers of Jesus, like me, like you, will become God's prophets, his messengers of good news. And empowered by God's Spirit, We'll be able to share this good news, which is all to say that according to the Bible, we are in the last days, which began roughly 2,000 years ago. And you may be saying, how can this be called the last days when it's been 2,000 years? Well, anybody here uh, have someone in your house that watches football? 
Have you ever asked someone to help you, say, like with folding laundry, and had that somebody say, hold on, uh, it's just the end of the game. We're at the two-minute warning. Have you ever found that that somebody was watching the last two minutes of the game, and it lasted something like 2,000 years? And the reason is because, especially if it's a good game, the last two minutes, it's not 120 seconds. It's this undetermined period of time when the winner and the loser is determined. And as my wife knows, uh, that last two minutes is just so important. There's no way that I could be folding laundry uh, in that kind of last two minutes. And if it's a big game, these last two minutes can be nerve-wracking, where I'm at the edge of my seat because I don't know whether me and my team win or lose. And so there is much anxiety and fear in eating of chips and dip, but I have had also the experience where I have watched a recording of the last two minutes of a big game where I knew the outcome. I've watched those last two minutes of the game knowing that the outcome was victory for me and my team. And that's a whole different experience. It's, it's, it's exciting, uh, but it's not nerve-wracking. It's thrilling, but it's not threatening because there's no fear. There's no despair because I know how it ends and it will end with victory. And in the Bible, we're told that we're in the last days, which is God's two-minute warning, in the biggest game ever with the happiest ending of all time. And guess who gets to be on the field for this dramatic moment in history. That's right. You do. I do. If I follow Jesus, I am filled with his spirit and empowered so I can see visions of the unseen and dream dreams and prophesy a message of good news. That's proclaim a message of good news that makes me a part of God's winning game plan. And here's the best part of all. I can step out and be a part of this big game without any fear because I know how the game ends with victory. And guess who empowers us toward this victory? It's the Holy Spirit of the risen Jesus who writes these words to his people in the ancient church called Philadelphia in what is today the modern nation of Turkey. Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3, beginning at verse 7, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will you leave it. I will write on you the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on you my new name. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches.
Jesus says, see, I have placed before you an open door. Let's ask some questions about this open door, starting with, what is it? What is the open door? Everywhere in the New Testament, this phrase, open door, refers to a specific God-given opportunity to become an impact player in God's game plan. And you'll see I've listed some New Testament references there, Acts and 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and Colossians, where these exact words, open door, are used and refers to a specific God-given opportunity to specific uh, Christ followers to make a specific impact in the lives of specific people in a specific place and time. And this is this letter to Philadelphia where Jesus says that that's exactly what he's doing all the time for his people who are willing to make an impact, who are willing to be impact players in his game plan. Jesus opened doors for people like you and me with the key of David, where David is a symbolic clue referring to the kind of person who Jesus is looking for. Uh, Quoting the Old Testament, the Apostle Paul says in Acts chapter 13, God made David king and testified concerning him, saying, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to to do. Jesus opens doors with the key of David, representing the kind of person who goes through his open doors because he is a man or a woman after God's own heart who does everything that God commands him or her to do, which is to say that this open door thing only applies to those who are longing and have desires after God's own heart. God is not opening doors for you to make money to spend on yourself or to score Hamilton tickets or something like that. No, Jesus is opening doors with the key of David for people who, like David, have God's heart and will do everything Jesus wants them to do. And the question is, is that me? Is that you? Are you a person who is so after God's heart that you will step through any open door that God opens in front of you to be an impact player in those last two minutes of world history? Well, let's find out by going to the next question if you're this kind of person. Because the next question is, what is my open door? There is no doubt that when Jesus talks about an open door, he has a few specific categories in mind. For instance, Jesus puts before me an open door for serving people inside my church. We're studying Jesus' personal letters to seven local churches, and then in In just about every letter, either directly or indirectly, Jesus says, I know your deeds and how you are serving or not serving in my church. Did you notice that as we've gone through these letters? See how important serving is to Jesus in his church. And and notice it's deeds. It's not just 
talking about how serving in the church is a good thing. It's actually doing it. And there's no doubt in my mind that the impact door that Jesus is opening before you includes serving in his church. Maybe this church, if this is your church, this church. If you follow Jesus, he's calling you, he's gifting you, he's asking you with all effort and sincerity to participate in his church. And maybe, maybe you didn't know that. Maybe you didn't know that Jesus demands his followers to serve in the church. Or maybe you did know, but you kind of thought that somehow Jesus was referring to somebody else. And he's kind of kidding when he is referring to you. Jesus is not kidding. He holds a door open for you. Will you go through it? Or, or maybe you just don't know how. Maybe you just don't know how to get involved in this church. If this is you, please join us for a seminar uh, this uh, on Tuesday evening, November 15th, starting at 7 p.m. In 90 minutes, you'll learn specific ways how you can use your gifts, your experiences, your personality to serve Jesus here at Black Rock, and you'll learn about some of the biggest opportunities to serve here at Black Rock, which you can even respond to just directly at servingatblackrock.org. Jesus holds open a door for you to make a huge impact by serving in his lampstand here at Black Rock. He's passionate about it, but I don't want you, I don't want you to have the impression that the only open door that Jesus holds open is about serving church people. Because, you know, those scripture references that I brought up earlier in Acts and First and Second Corinthians and Colossians, they specifically mention those words, open door, and they're all about Jesus' equal passion for serving people outside the church. Jesus wants to open doors for me at work, at school, at dinner parties, on car rides, on airplanes. In fact, if I am willing to see the unseen, Jesus will show me open doors in every person I meet, in every conversation I hold, in every day of my life. This is what makes following Jesus an adventure. I have a friend here at BlackRock who, as a corporate CEO and a dedicated follower of Christ, has had a particular way of living out the open door expectation, uh, both now in and out of the work world. Uh, each time he has an encounter with a person, he's trained himself to habitually whisper a little prayer to Jesus saying, Jesus, what can I do to add value to this person's life? It doesn't matter uh, whether he's with a, a vice president uh, or whether it's a vendor in the cafeteria, he's asking the open door question, Jesus, how can I add value in this person's life? And then my friend listens carefully for clues on how he can serve that person, how he can help that person, encourage that person, love that person in a way that adds Jesus-directed value in that person's life. And my friend proves that when you live this way, when you are seeing visions and dreaming dreams of bringing value to others, Jesus opens doors that change lives in others and change your life by the process of listening and following Jesus. But there's at least one more door 
that Jesus holds open uh, for me, and that's in the area of sharing Jesus with those I meet. We know that by an open door, Jesus has in mind this category of speaking up about my relationship with Jesus. We know this because Jesus specifically connects Philadelphia's open door to the fact that, quote, you have not denied my name, end quote. This is a central theme in the book of Revelation. Jesus draws a line between those who are his people and those who just say that they are his people, and that line is the willingness to publicly stand and identify with Jesus. No silent witness, publicly stand with Jesus, and a verbal witness included. Uh, and for those who receive these letters, martyrdom, you know, was not a hypothetical. It was a real threat. Uh, we read in the letter to Pergamum how Jesus personally honors a man named Antipas, who uh, was put to death in the city of Pergamum uh, because under torture, he would not recant his testimony that Jesus was his Lord and not the Roman emperor. Physical death is not on the line for me. But just like those first followers, Jesus gives me open door opportunities to identify with him, speak up for him, and he calls me to boldly walk through that door if I'm really his. So let's be both bold and let's also use common sense. I mean, if you're a teacher, you know, there are rules in place that keep you from imposing your belief on students. Uh, if you're a boss or a supervisor, there are probably written or unwritten rules that keep you from imposing your belief on people who work for you. These are good rules. They're in place to protect everybody. And Jesus would never want you to impose him on other people in a way that disrespects them or takes advantage of them or misuses work time or whatever. But, you know, we all also have common sense opportunities in a whole wide range of our contexts where Jesus gives us open doors to speak naturally about why we follow Jesus and what it means. There's a big difference between imposing Jesus and simply proposing Jesus. If I'm willing to see the unseen, I will find many open doors to propose Jesus to others out of my personal experience with him. Some days ago, I had a great conversation uh, with a guy named Tyler. Uh, we sat at the same dinner table at a uh, social function, and Tyler knew I was a pastor. And uh, uh, he was asking me these questions. They were not annoying or disrespectful questions. They were very sincere. And he would say to me, why is it you believe in the existence of God? And I get asked this question a lot. And so I gave him my five-point uh, reason-based rationale for why I believe there is a God. And then Tyler said that my reasons were very good, uh, but it didn't change his mind because as a chemical engineer, he was not prepared to believe in anything that he couldn't confirm scientifically. And then Tyler asked me if I believed in Jesus. And I gave him my five-point reason-based rationale for why I believe in Jesus. And then Tyler said, so 
Let me get this straight. You believe, you really believe that you have a daily relationship with a man who lived 2,000 years ago? I said, never heard it put that way, but yeah, that's it. And then Tyler said, you just gave me a question I never really heard with such intensity and sincerity before. He said, how do you know? How do you know that you have a relationship with Jesus? I said, Tyler, I know I have a relationship with Jesus because I've come to see my life and everything else in this world through Jesus' eyes. I've come to see his unseen activity in my life. And I've learned to hear kind of his gentle impressions, his voice in my life. And this is where Jesus uh, put an open door before me along with a call to step through it. And I said, Tyler, in fact, I sense that Jesus is telling me right now that he loves you and that he honors your honest sincerity in these questions. And I saw in Tyler that he was not affected by this at all. But then Jesus prodded me to kind of take it to the next level and uh, say something else. And so I said it. So Tyler, I also sense that Jesus is specifically telling me to ask you about your father. And as soon as I said it, I felt a little silly. I, uh, it seemed so predictable. It seemed kind of like psycho babblish. And I was like, Jesus, couldn't we come up with something a little more original than that? And uh, so I, I, I felt a little uncertain about it when I said it. But then I looked at Tyler, and his eyes were wide open. And his mouth had dropped open. They said, that's interesting. That's, that's very interesting. I said, why? He said, because, he said, because my, my dad, my whole life, has been very anti-religion. He's in science, just like me. But three weeks ago, for some reason, my dad started reading the Gospels. And so every week, he's been calling me and texting me about what he's learning about Jesus. And he's been telling me that I need to start reading the Gospels. He said, I could show you on my phone. He just texted me before we started our conversation. And I looked at Tyler, and he looked at me, and there was a pause where we both sensed that there was a third person at our table. And for the first time, Tyler could see the unseen. And this has nothing to do with me being special at all. In fact, it's just the opposite. These are the last days when God is pouring out his spirit on ordinary people like me, like you. These are the last days when God is empowering his people to be prophets, to be communicators of his love for people and the fact that Jesus really is alive. And he will do this amazing impact in people's life if we will just step through the open door. 
These are the last days where you and I are empowered to see visions of open doors, to dream dreams of open doors, and become impact players fearlessly because we know how the story ends. Impact if we just step through his open doors. Here's a story of one person and one open door of impact. I grew up um, going to church, um, always believed in God, and had a great family. They you know, took us to church and made sure we knew about it, but honestly, I never got it. I ended up getting moving, moved to Portland, Oregon. We got married in Portland, Oregon. In my job, I was a, a salesperson, and one of my uh, customers was a Christian. There was just something different about this guy and his wife, too. There was a lightness to them. There was a, uh, a joy about them. But we became really good friends. So they had been asking us to come to their church for a long time. We kept saying, no, 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 it's too far away. How lame is that, really? We did uh, end up going to church. When we became Christians, like, we always kind of, I just always kind of knew that God was going to have something more in store for both of us. We have two kids, Sam, who is going to be a senior in college, and also Daniel, who's going to be a, a senior in high school as well. And we live in Weston, and we've been coming to the church since, um, I think it's 2004. It was a, a, a God thing. He was just calling us, primarily for our children, to uh, to come to BlackRock. I know that if that hadn't happened, if we hadn't heard him and obeyed him, that our children would not um, be where they are with Christ today. Like we joke about all the time, like, why aren't they out at beer parties right now? We don't get it. Why are they at a Bible study tonight? Why don't they do it like all the normal kids do? What's going on? We're glad. <laughs> We're very glad. It's BlackRock. All this, their love for the Lord, their, I mean, the things they want to do, because we just, we couldn't do it at home. We have to be surrounded by other people who, so we can see God working, right? So they've really benefited from, yes, from the great ministry, from all the people who've been leading the youth groups, but also from seeing other kids and, and seeing their parents and seeing how Jesus works in their lives. And that's what, what we hope is happening with Urban Impact too, is that they're seeing the light of Christ like we saw in our friends in Portland, that you see that light and you're there, what's going on? I want that. God had been asking us to join in on a variety of things, and we just always said yes. I think it was Rick Warren or someone said, God does not call the qualified, He qualifies the called. It's a potentially big thing when the husband comes home and says, I think I need to leave my job and, <laughs> and go into full-time ministry. But you know what? When he came home and said that, I was like, fine, fine. I know this is a God thing. And I'm like, if this is his thing, he's going to provide for us. I'm not worried about it. If I lose my job, I'm not worried about it. I know he has plans for us. He's faithful. This is from years of watching God work and watching him be true to what he says in the scriptures. So I started with Urban Impact in January. It's an amazing organization. People there are incredible. The volunteers are just amazing how much they love these kids. It's just, it's really incredible. There are four public housing complexes in Bridgeport, and one of them is P.T. Barnum. We work with the kids 
from P.T. Barnum. We do it from a God, Christ-centered approach. Because you can educate like all you want. That's not gonna change P.T. Barnum. Because if you don't have Jesus and God in your life, the bad decisions are still gonna be made. We want them to do better in school, and we're working with homework, we're doing in-school tutoring, we're doing all these things. We are doing all these things, but it's the mentoring and the Christ-centered approach, and that's what's really gonna change things and, and uh, help them hopefully make better decisions to change that generation. One day, Chris came home, and he, he came up to me and he said, 12 minutes. I'm like, what does, <laughs> what does this mean? We're 12 minutes from P.T. Barnum. How can we not be a part of what's going on there? How can we not try to make an impact on this and on the lives of these kids? This isn't, this isn't another continent. It's not another country. It's, it's 12 minutes away. You want to see these kids have a chance to have a better life and to know Jesus. That's so great. So I hope you're ready. I mean, if you're sincere as a follower of Jesus, this is not just hypothetical. Uh, Jesus is going to put an open door before you, maybe in the next uh, half an hour, maybe in the next hour. He's going to do it sometime today. He's going to do it again tomorrow. Are you ready? Are you ready to see the unseen door and walk through it? You know, it occurs to me, however, that... Uh, before Jesus is going to show you an unseen door, he's going to expect you to go through the doors that you can see, that he's already told you about, that he's already commanded clearly about. And that's what this card represents in your bulletin about baptism. Uh, if you have not publicly made that stand with Jesus, you need to do that. And then as you walk through this door, you're going to find a bunch of other exciting open doors. So to fill this card out, bring it to the next steps, uh, uh, kiosk or give it to an usher and uh, let's get ready to, uh, to see some amazing things happen.